Happy to be with y'all on this beautiful Friday. The birds are literally chirping outside my window, so enjoy. (laughs) Your host, Beth Bowen, here with a really beautiful conversation with the lovely Christina Galbato. Christina is an online educator and digital marketing expert based in New York City who has built a million-dollar business. She recently shared her story of sobriety to her larger audience, and I really love the conversation we had about what it's like to make your insides match your outsides. The way she talked about the world turning technicolor when she quit drinking really resonated with me, and I can't wait to hear what y'all take away from this conversation. Make sure to tag Christina and Sober Stories when you give this episode a listen. Let's get into it. Welcome to Sober Stories, a podcast dedicated to the power and change that can come from really, really great storytelling. We believe that stories are a massively transformational medium. When we can see ourselves in someone's story, when we share our own story, that's when the magic happens. Here, we tell stories of folks all across the sober spectrum with hope, honesty, inspiration, and probably a few sparkling water jokes. I'm your host, Beth Bowen, and it's a huge honor to be Chief Story Steward around here. With our guests, we pull back the curtain on the good, the bad, and sometimes the downright ugly of what it looks like to ditch the booze, changing the world one podcast episode at a time. Y'all ready? All right, my friends, I am so excited to bring a very near and dear friend to the Sober Stories podcast. Today, we have Christina Galbato, who I will let kind of introduce herself and give you the high notes. But Christina, I'm just really glad you're here today. Yeah, I'm so excited to be on the show. I love what you're doing with this new podcast. And I'm excited to talk about sobriety and be more open. Yeah. Now, I think we we really love storytelling here. And that is one of the, the reasons we brought you on the podcast. So give us mm-hmm. kind of the story of you, kind of the high notes, where you are, what you do, who you do life mm-hmm. with, who you are today. Yeah. So career-wise, um, I'm the founder of an online education business that helps women specifically uh, build businesses as social media influencers. So everything from growing your audience online to um, creating impactful content and monetizing that content through brand collaborations, online courses, and the like. So I have a number of online courses and coaching programs that we offer my audience. And I live in Brooklyn with my dog, Koa, who is a mini Bernadoodle, very cute. Hopefully he doesn't bark during this. And I've been sober for almost 10 months, which is amazing. Man, so what's, what's your, what's your day one? What is your anniversary? April 12th, oh, 2021. Man. Coming up, yes. especially when this podcast launched, that'll be real close. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel like Koa is like my dog because I see him so much on your stories and I'm I like, oh, there goes Koa for his little walkies. There goes <laughs> Koa for his like cuddle time. So I, you know, I appreciate so- the Koa content. Yeah, he's the best. And you know, what's so funny about having a dog is you really realize like how much you love your dog and how other people like couldn't care less. <laughs> no, I'm invested in the Koa content. Like ever, <laughs> if you ever have like this imposter syndrome or like maybe I'm posting too much, like mm-hmm. there are people here that are here for the Koa content. Yeah, yeah. I got to post for Beth. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and full disclosure for those listening to the podcast, I have taken two of Christina's courses, the influencer boot camp and the blog boot camp and it is just like top notch quality so if you are out there listening if you are looking for guidance on how to like be out in this internet space christina truly is an expert and somebody who i really admire in this space but also have just really connected in this this sober space in in your Mm -hmm. journey as somebody who's changed their relationship with alcohol so tell us more about this story of 
you and alcohol. How did you decide to come to this, this sobriety thing? What did it look like? What did it look like before? Anything you want to share? Okay. Yeah. This is one of those things where I'm like, where do I even start? Uh, (laughs) I I like to keep it free form and like, just let whatever comes. Okay. Okay. So we'll just start from the beginning. Um, I started, so in my family, I was definitely part of one of those families where like, we kind of had wine at dinner every single night. I'm Italian. That's just the kind of family that I came from. And I think my parents' perspective on it was, well, if we expose it to her when she's younger, she's going to be less likely to go crazy when she's older. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, great intentions, but I think what that did was kind of normalize like the nightly drinking kind of thing. I first started drinking in high school. I think it was like sophomore or junior year and pretty much immediately was not the kind of drinker that had an off button, Mm. Um, you know, drunk driving, lots of not good things that I decided to do in high school. So immediately just didn't have a great relationship with it, went off to college and became a part of Greek life. And, you know, I think heavy drinkers try to find other heavy drinkers. That way they don't need to look in the mirror. And Mm. a lot of these girls are still my closest friends in New York, but um, definitely was part of a culture in college of like going out every single night, um, partying, kind of like the horrible things that we would do when we were drunk were sort of laughed about, uh, not really taken seriously. It was just this weird kind of college culture that tends to happen. And then I graduated from college, came to New York. And at that point, I mean, there was a year or two after where we were still going out quite a bit, but it seemed like everybody else started to kind of slow down in their drinking. And I still found myself in a place where I didn't know how to stop Mm. when I was drinking. So that sort of in 2019, 2020 began to evolve to a place of more frequent drinking. So not only did I not have an off button, but now I was drinking a lot more frequently, Mm. uh, kind of just a slow escalation, which brought me to 2020, late 2020, 2021, uh, where I was drinking every single night, bottle, bottle and a half. Um, it started hurting my relationship, hurting my work. I had no control like whatsoever, you know, exactly what I'm talking about. Like I would have all intentions of not drinking that night. And then I would go to the wine store. I would, I would do this crazy thing, two crazy things. I would know that I had a meeting the next day at like noon, Mm -hmm. So I would go to the wine store, buy a $30 bottle of wine because I wanted to be bougie, right? Like I was yeah. really classy. Um, <laughs> and I would come home and I would dump out half the bottle of wine because I knew, which is like such a waste of money also, but that's a conversation for another day. And uh, because I knew that I wouldn't be able to stop myself. Like yeah. that's kind of the point where I was, that I was at. And I would search on Amazon for a lock that you could put on your wine bottle. And I couldn't find one. And I genuinely wondered why this didn't exist. Like I just didn't even question that that's something your, was wrong. That's me. your like entrepreneur brain too. That's like, I, oh, have, totally. a, I have a business idea now. Yeah. And all the investors are like, well, you should just probably stop drinking, yeah. but okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Only I bet children. that thing would sell Weird. too. That's unfortunate. Yeah, exactly. So like, that's how much my brain had kind of created this delusion of my behavior being okay. But then, um, February, 2021, I went down to Mexico, kind of like the classic trip where you're like, ah, different space. I'm going to change my behavior. I'm going to drink green juices on the beach. Uh, but then I found myself in a hotel room alone with room service and mm-hmm. ordering all these glasses at night. Cause they wouldn't just give me a full bottle. Mm-hmm. And basically what happened was, and this is kind of what I identify as my like come to Jesus spiritual yeah. moment 
was I was checking out and the guy handed me the, you know, the receipt of everything that I'd wrapped up. And I just saw all these wine glasses Mm. and then I signed it and I was about to walk away. And he was like, oh, we forgot these from last night. And I had to walk back over. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. You can feel like the, the shame there. So that was, that was my moment for sure. And so I just remember being in this taxi on the way back to the airport and just crying. This taxi driver probably thought I was nuts, but I was like mumbling to myself, like, you need help. You need help when you're getting home, you're getting help. And so when I got home, I sought out a therapist, started therapy, um, didn't get sober until April 12th. And yeah, that was definitely really tough time right before you, you know, get sober. And I was visiting my parents in early April and I had just like kind of decreased my drinking a little bit to like two glasses a night. And even then I was going through like horrible mental withdrawals and just like shaky and all this stuff. And then finally on April 12th, I um, stopped completely. Mm. There's a little blip, which you probably remember us talking about a while ago, like 20 days later. But other than that blip, which I categorize the fall forward, <laughs> yep. it's over since. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, there's so many good pieces to pull out of that. <laughs> I am really glad that you mentioned the blip and the fall forward mm-hmm. and and whatever whoever's listening wants to call it. I think mm-hmm. that's a really important piece of telling these stories of saying like very few of our stories are perfectly linear. Very few of us said, all right, this is it. Never drinking alcohol again. And magically Mm -hmm. I'm fixed. We have all of these experiences of, of gathering data and figuring out what works and what doesn't work. And Mm -hmm. especially in this very odd, and and I think you'll relate to this with your work too, but this very odd kind of sober influence or culture we've created intentionally, but also kind of stumbled into, you know, it has its Mm -hmm. its benefits, but at the same time, it is really starting to put a lot of people and their sobriety and their paths Mm -hmm. on this kind of pedestal and this idea of, well, therefore you're sober. Like it must've been perfect. It's like, girl, you don't, you don't know what day two and day five and day 20 looked like it was messy and non-linear and never just a straight Mm -hmm. line. And I think that's really important. And when you told this story about the room service bill, I just, I felt that in my stomach. Like I could feel that viscerally. And, you know, I think it's, I I never had that exact experience, but I immediately went to a cruise that I was on one time. It was like, you know, it's unlimited drinks, free drinks, and you're never paying attention to how much you're actually drinking. And then you get the bill at the end of the cruise and you're like, oh, that's interesting. How interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's some interesting data. And (laughs) I'll take that on board. (laughs) Yeah. Noted. I will bring this to my next meeting. Yeah. But we, we get all this these signs and these, these experiences and, and these red flags. And it's so easy to just say like, Oh, yikes. And, and like you said, this idea of minimizing it when you're with other people and especially in heavy drinking cultures and especially Mm -hmm. in, you know, this idea of Greek life, especially, and really just realizing that we've all talked ourselves into how normal this is. And we've all talked ourselves mm-hmm. into what this is and isn't and, and what is and isn't right for us. But yeah. I'm curious to know a little bit more about how you felt once you get past some of those early days, how you started feeling once it started mm-hmm. settling in a little bit more. Yeah. I think the biggest example of this or story that I can give of this was one day, one morning I was on a run at like 8am, which never would have happened before <laughs> ever. <laughs> 
ever. <laughs> um, and I was like looking around and as corny as this sounds, I took, I, I kind of stopped and I looked around and I was like, I can hear babies crying. I can like hear the helicopter overhead. I'm in New York. I can like <laughs> see the, the sun glisten on the water. I can like smell the fresh grass. It was this feeling of like my senses coming alive again. Mm. Like I'd been living in gray, like shades of gray for so long. And I finally felt like the saturation come back into my life. And it was like, I know this is what I wrote in my journal at the time too. So I did not like formulate this over time. This is like what I got like a soundbite from that. That was real good. (laughs) Yeah, I know I'm ready. Um, yeah. So that, I think that kind of describes the first couple of months, obviously Mm -hmm. the first month was like, let me just get through a second at a time. But after that, I could feel things start to improve. Like my skin was getting better. Um, like this, and this is very surface level, but like this fat that I've been trying to work off was coming off like naturally, which is, you know, shocking that I wasn't consuming a thousand calories a night. Um, Go figure, and, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. My confidence took a while longer, but I felt happier. I woke up earlier. My sleep was better. Like everything just gradually started to improve. But I think the thing I didn't realize was just how much work I was going to have to do on myself after that. Like I really thought that stopping drinking and being sober and being, you know, quote unquote in recovery, if you want to call that is, has a very little to do with the actual substance itself and not just stopping drinking, but everything about like, what were you drinking to numb out? Mm. Like, what was I drinking to avoid facing in the first place? And so now I have to face those things that I've literally like stifled since I was 16 years old. Um, so that's been like the, a very challenging part, but honestly, like the best part, because I just feel like such a totally different person now Mm -hmm. than a year ago. Mm. Well, and I think that even the senses and even this idea of this technical color experience and all of that really relates to, to this idea that we have not numbed ourselves anymore. We have removed this thing that is literally and physically dampening our nervous system, but also our experiences and our sensory intake, but also our, our metaphorical experience and the way we experience the world. And sometimes that can feel really raw. Sometimes that can feel really intense. Of course you see the birds and the babies and the helicopters above. And then sometimes you're like, Oh no, I have to feel this feeling that I'm feeling. What do I do now? Very intense. Yes, definitely. I mean, we've talked about this and cause I'm part of Beth's uh, powerful AF program, um, about like just learning how to regulate my nervous system in times where I'm like either very upset or very angry and figuring out how to get back to a base level without alcohol mm. is like learning a new language. Mm. Honestly. Yeah. I like that. It is like learning a new language. It's really learning new information and and new ways of actually being a person in the world that are not always super intuitive. So I am curious about your experience as somebody who runs this multimillion dollar business and has a very visible persona out in the the ether and in the world. Mm -hmm. And from the outside as, as somebody who views you externally, but also knows you more, more intimately, you really look like you've kind of got it all. And you've got this beautiful apartment and this really successful business and Mm -hmm. the gorgeous clothes. And I think a lot of people can relate to this experience of looking fine and pretty and perfect on the outside, and then having a very different internal experience. Can you tell us a little bit more about that both, I guess, before and after you quit drinking? 
Yeah, I think for me, um, something that I've had to come to terms with with myself, and it's actually something I'm a big fan of writing notes and like mm-hmm. journaling when I'm in moments. But I wrote this note um, in early April that basically said that I've spent a long time like painting the outside of my house and making the outside of my house look pretty mm. without paying attention to the insides, like almost in an attempt to make the insides match the outsides mm-hmm. externally. Mm-hmm. I'm very aware of that about myself. Um, and I think a lot of it's, it's interesting because I, when people ask me like, do you wish you could drink? Part of me says, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But also part of me doesn't because the ways that I'm a really good entrepreneur are the same reasons, same characteristics of my brain that made me really good at having a problem with alcohol, like risk-taking, like the all or nothing mentality, like the persuasiveness, like all of these things. So they're all kind of like one and the same. And I don't know. I guess like for me sharing on social media, as you know, cause I was talking to you before was like the most terrifying thing ever. Mm. I've, you know, portrayed this image. Like my life is, you know, really great for a long time without talking about too much of what was happening on the inside. Uh, but I think, you know, it just makes everyone feel a lot closer realizing mm. that like, no matter what someone's life looks like from the outside, there's always shit going on. Like there's so many, you, like at the beginning, I would, I would think about celebrities that have gone through sobriety for some reason. I just like looked up to them and I was like, if they, you know, have to go through this, like it just makes me whatever it doesn't make, or what am I trying to say? It makes me not as weird. Mm. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I just think that regardless of what you have or what your life looks like or how much money you make or what you surround yourself by like internal problems or internal problems and they're all universal. And obviously there's other factors to that, but yeah. Well, and I think it just humanizes everyone a little bit more when we realize like we can look one way and have a completely different internal experience. And I think what you Mm -hmm. said about the celebrities is a good point. We see all these people Mm -hmm. who they've got the money, they have the fame, they have the personal chef. They have all yeah. of the things that, you know, we, we think, oh, I'll be happy when I achieve X, Y, Z. And they still have these human experiences. They still have this mm-hmm. experience of, you know, struggling with substances or mental health or whatever mm-hmm. it is. I mean, Chrissy freaking Dean like is now sober. Yeah. And it's like, if she has the same internal experience yeah. with alcohol and the way it shows up in her life, I think and that's the power of telling your stories. That's the power of exactly. you coming onto social media and saying, Hey, I had this experience and I've changed my, my relationship with alcohol in X, Y, Z way. What was the reception that you received when you shared your story? It was so positive. I was not expecting that. I thought that everyone was going to think that I had no credibility mm. because of this thing that I'd struggled with. Um, I have never received so many messages in my life literally thousands. And they were all so nice. Mm-hmm. I did not receive a single, even slightly rude comment, a single, like you should really go to AA, you know, talking about kind <laughs> yeah. of comment, like nothing, <laughs> even slightly negative. Uh, I was shocked. And just also the number of people that deal with this issue. When I haven't even made my platform about this, the number of people that came forward that they were personally struggling or they knew someone that struggled and can I offer advice? And I've even given my phone number to yeah. like a few women that have been struggling with this. And we, we text back and forth. They're like, I'm really struggling tonight. And that's like the beautiful part of it is that you can pass that on to other people and recover with other people. 
Um, but it was so overwhelmingly positive, which I was very grateful for. Which again is also a little like activating the nervous system. I feel like we can have yeah. these, these good experiences too. And just be like, Oh, holy shit. What, what do I do now? Yeah. That was a lot of DMs. <laughs> I also really dislike yeah. my DMs and I will be the person who takes five days Same. to respond to somebody. So I cannot Same. even imagine getting a thousand DMs and what that feels like. It's like making me nervous. Just thinking it was, about it. No, it was too much. <laughs> yeah. Too much, too yeah. much. But, you know, I think it's so important when people with a platform and when people with any sort of visibility. And mm-hmm. let me back this up. I don't think it's a requirement. I don't think it's a requirement. I don't think every single person with a platform has to bear their soul and has to share their, their experience. Cause I think mm-hmm. th- that our experiences are very personal and vulnerability yeah. is a learned skill and not every container is safe to share our stories. But when somebody with a platform does share their experience, the ripple effect that that creates in those thousands of women that you reached, no matter whether they knew you or not, whether they mm-hmm. took your course or whether they you know, liked any of your posts, they see this human person who they mm-hmm. admire and they look up to and, and they respect. And this person has a human experience and it gives us all a little bit more permission to just be people and just give ourselves a break and Mm -hmm. experience life as we experience it and not be so hard on ourselves. So you live in New York city. You are Mm -hmm. young, you are single. Tell us about what it is like to be a sober person in a big city. You just celebrated a birthday. What has that experience (laughs) been like? Yeah. I mean, I think honestly, if I was younger, this would be a different scenario because my friends and I don't really go out too much anymore. But I will say that a few things I've been surprised by the number of bars and restaurants that are very, very accommodating with Mm -hmm. it. I don't know whether it's just like a New York big city type of thing, but there are so many restaurants now that have like dedicated mocktail menus with like Mm -hmm. sea blip and all these different non-alcoholic alternatives and bartenders that are just like happy to make you a non-alcoholic drink. So that's been nice. The other part that I think in terms of going out that has been very interesting is the evolution of my confidence. Mm. I don't think I realized until I no longer had alcohol, how much I used alcohol to just not feel so self-conscious. I've had to like rewire a lot of beliefs about myself to go on public, honestly. Yeah. Just the way it is. Um, (laughs) you're talking, you're talking to like the biggest introvert in the whole world. So like no, no explanation needed. Yeah, exactly. So it's been interesting to like feel that confidence grow over time. At the beginning, I was certainly very uncomfortable in social situations that alcohol, and it felt like everyone was looking at me and everyone cared. And now I just went out for my birthday last weekend. Now I can just like order a non-alcoholic drink confidently. I can walk around confidently. I can just feel that back into myself. I don't know whether it was ever there, honestly, but I'm building that muscle back and it feels really good. It took time, but it feels good. Now I haven't started dating yet. I've like had a few dating apps here and there, but haven't actually gone out. So that will be a whole new experience, but it is one that I'm kind of excited for because I feel like with dating in the past, alcohol just, it masks so much of the feeling that you get with someone and it makes it into something that it's not. Mm. And I'm excited to go into dating with like clarity around how someone actually makes me feel. Mm. And it is also a very good screening 
wine, I will say. (laughs) (laughs) Like any guy that does that cares about me not drinking, like that's fine. Bye. (laughs) Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. It's like you change your status on the apps and it's like, I don't have to worry about all of these people who are making a big deal about this. But you know, when you said that it really was a muscle that you were building, I think that's it. I think it's, we have to rebuild these skills and there is really no other way than to say like, it's going to be hard the first couple of times. And the first couple of times you go into a new experience or a social situation or somewhere you used to frequent when you're drinking, we can have all the tools in our tool belt. We can have all of the, the skills and the breathing exercises and the therapy tools. And it still requires practice and it still requires building that muscle and building that resilience. Mm-hmm. And something I think I've heard you say a couple of times this time is like, I don't know if I'm the person who I was before I drank or if I'm a new person. And I think that that's a really interesting experience because people have it. It goes one of two ways. It's like you either return to yourself or you uncover a totally yeah. different person than you ever were. Which one do yeah. you think it is for you? I think I'm becoming a new person. Um, I know for me, a lot of the reason why I drank is I've always, for me, I actually think it comes down. Well, there's so many things I'm trying to figure (laughs) out my story, you know, as we can tell, but one of the biggest things for me is I've always been a very, very anxious attacher when it comes to men. And when I started drinking correlates exactly with my first kind of toxic relationship with like an avoidant person. And I've never learned why I go for that kind of person, what I should be doing instead, how to regulate my nervous system when I do feel anxious about a relationship. I've never learned those skills. I've never honestly had the confidence to step away from a a toxic situation. That's just one example of kind of like how I'm new because I have never been Mm. (laughs) who I am now in those scenarios. So I, I, I think it's a new person, but I more so maybe even the better way to phrase it would be like, I'm becoming like my highest self mm. is kind of yeah. what I would say. Yeah. yeah. The same you, but the, the version that you always aspired to Well, exactly. you, you mentioned too starting drinking so early. So many of mm-hmm. us don't ever get the chance to know ourselves before we introduce totally. this substance that makes yeah. it easy to socialize and makes it easy to be out in the world and mm-hmm. makes it easy to have conversations and feel confident. And then when we remove that, we realize, oh no, I'm a person. I'm a real human. I have to figure <laughs> out how to be, yeah, yeah. What, do, what do I do? I have to be a real person out in the world. But yeah. I, I think that's a really interesting point and something I hadn't really thought of is like, we often don't get a chance to know ourselves before this is introduced mm-hmm. to our lives. And yeah, as our, our unformed teenage brains definitely don't know who we are. And then no. we start drinking <laughs> in our late, late teens, early twenties, and just completely bypass that experience of figuring out who we are without the substance and, and who we okay. are with a normal regulated nervous system. That's so interesting. Exactly. I love that. Yeah. So I, you recently shared a while back a little bit on social media about a breakup you went through and we don't need to dig into the details of the breakup, but I'm curious about what kind of this grief process looked like as you were going through that without alcohol. So a few people, so in, and myself included know how to cope with grief, especially Mm -hmm. if we've removed a coping mechanism that Mm -hmm. we have always had in our tool belt. So what did that look like for you? Yeah. Feeling your feelings is a ride. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) like, oh my gosh, what a new experience. Yeah. Um, podcast title, (laughs) literally (laughs) 
Oh my gosh, that's going to be the name of my book. I'm going to write yeah. it down. Perfect. <laughs> feeling my feelings. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Perfect. Anyway, so yeah, I knew going into it that this was going to be the first time that I needed to feel my feelings. So I really went into this with just like, what I took a week off from work. Um, and I was like, whatever I feel, I just need to sit in, Mm. like I'm sitting in dirty water and I just need to like feel it and sense into where I'm feeling it in my body and breathe through it and just not mask it with anything. Mm -hmm. So I was very cognizant of like not watching a ton of Netflix or like not being on social media a lot. I would purposefully just like sit in it because I knew that if I didn't do that, it was going to come up later to bite me and I wanted to fully move on. Um, so I took a lot of baths. I ate a lot of food that I like, ate a lot of ice cream and (laughs) cried a lot and cried whenever I felt like it. Mm. And I think just allowing myself, giving myself the permission to feel anything that I was feeling, whether it was anger, sadness, whatever was very helpful for me in the whole process of it. Mm. Well, I think you touched on a great point of feeling it so that you can move on and feeling it so that you're able to work through and process the actual Mm -hmm. experience of it. And I think I find it very admirable that you didn't just watch Netflix the whole time because for myself, I know I'm so quick to numb out. I'm not ever really at risk of drinking alcohol, but I still Mm -hmm. seek out ways to escape myself and to get outside of myself. And it is Netflix and it's touches on my phone or TikTok or whatever it is, or cookies, whatever it happens to be. And we, when we remove alcohol, we don't expect, we expect, oh, I'm going to be fixed. I'm going to be healed. This was my thing. This is the only thing. But like you said earlier, it's usually just something that's masking a lot of other shit that we got to work through and really process and learn how to deal with in ways that aren't just other types of, of numbing mechanisms, other types of escapism of getting outside of ourselves. So Mm -hmm. I love this idea of taking a week off of work and really saying, I'm going to feel what I feel. I'm going to cry a lot, which is actually like a great stress reliever and (laughs) experiencing this rather than burying it in work or burying it in busy and Mm -hmm. letting it linger for months and years to come. So on the other side of it, is that the way you would do it again? Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I feel like you, the, one of the biggest lessons I've learned is what you were saying, like just the importance of feeling what you need to feel in order to not have it bite you later on. Uh, so right now I'm like very concentrated on learning how to be alone and not having a male object of affection. <laughs> and Koa. Like, You've got Koa. Yeah, oh yeah. Koa. Sorry. Damn, I'm cheating. <laughs> um, and kind of just like figuring out my groove. Cause I yeah. haven't had sobriety and haven't had some sort of male target. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> since I started drinking. Yeah. So yeah. Well, and you, you mentioned earlier that one of the things that alcohol was impacting was your work. So how do you feel like work, your business has mm-hmm. gone since you've removed alcohol? Oh, so much better. <laughs> um, I luckily, you know, I'm very lucky that I've built a team that is kind of filled in the gaps where I couldn't, when I was really struggling, which they didn't know at the time, but I was like, can you just do this? (laughs) I'm secretly hungover. Um, very irresponsible. (laughs) Please write this copy for me. (laughs) I know. Um, and now I just feel first of all, so much more confident in the decisions Mm -hmm. that I'm making, whether it's 
making a decision on a new product to create or more confident on calls, more confident on strategy. I notice that the way I say things are a lot more sure of myself. Mm. And that just comes with like the overall, you know, growth of my confidence in general. Uh, but also just much better at focusing on things. And I wake up at like seven, seven thirty now, which mm. is really amazing. Cause I can have that morning time to myself yeah. and not feel like before it was just this horrible, horrible cycle of rolling out of bed at 11 a.m., super hungover, going on my computer and doing the bare freaking minimum, just enough to like check the box, right? I'll make um, a couple million dollars, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> high it. achiever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just, to, it, I just feel like I have so much more of a well rounded life now. I can create routines, I can create space for myself um, and have my, routines be something that actually adds to my life and creates inner peace versus going for a bottle of wine. Yeah. Well, and that hamster wheel, it's, it's the nonstop groundhog. Yeah. Groundhog day of wake up, feel like shit, scurry through the day, wait till it's time to open another bottle of wine, drink all the wine, go to sleep, do it all over again. And it's insane. So many people do that. We do that. So many of us do that all the time. And we've just gotten so numb to it. And so no pun intended, but just really expectant that that's all there is in life. And that's how we be a human out in the world. And so much of what I hear you speaking to is this idea of more, there's more, there's more space, there's more Mm -hmm. freedom, there's more routine. And there's, there's just more capacity to be and feel and, and experience it all in a way that feels good. And sometimes it feels really bad, but also sitting in that. And I think that that is just a really cool piece of all of this, both, both in its, its challenges, but also it's joy. That's the word that comes to me is like, there's joy in it. Even when it's hard, there's still joy in it. So I always ask this question on the podcast and would love to know as we were wrapping up, if your story were to be published, if this story of Christina Galapato getting sober, being sober, alcohol, whatever, what would it be titled? And what kind of story is it? What kind of story? Do you mean like genre? Yeah. Okay. I think my story is called feeling my feelings like a champ. <laughs> <laughs> like a champ. Like a champ. Like that. Yeah. And it is. I'm going to go boring here. A memoir. Memoir. Beautiful. Feeling my feelings like a champ. A memoir by Christina Galbato. Cannot wait to read this in, you know, five years. I'll let you take a breather and and not (laughs) rush to write that story. But, you know, I think that there's just so much goodness and things that I admire in your story and the courage with which you have jumped into sharing it and connecting with people and letting your story be something that connects other people and heals other people and gives them the permission to make this change in their life. If it feels like Mm -hmm. the right fit for them. And I really appreciate you coming on here and sharing that with more voices, more audiences, more people who need Mm -hmm. to hear the story of how you overcame this, how you changed your relationship with alcohol, even though maybe nobody else thought you needed to, maybe on the outside, it looked like you had everything and really there was just so much more waiting for you when you removed it. So I appreciate your time. It has been a joy to speak with you. I know my people are going to want to know where you are. They're going to want to connect with you. How can they connect with you? And do you have anything going on in your world that you want to share here? 
Um, well, first of all, they could connect with me on Instagram uh, at Christina Galbato. My website is the same. And I also have a podcast, hopefully relaunching in March. We will see <laughs> called Her Life by Design, where I'm interviewing influencers, e-commerce business owners, um, women who are making a difference in the world in some capacity. So that will be hopefully again, live in March. And um, I also want to say thank you to you, Beth. Like you have been a huge part of my story and why I was able to get sober and I'm not going to tear up, but um, yeah, I just like, I'm so appreciative of you and everything that you're doing and you're making a massive difference. So yeah. yeah. I'm not going to tear up either. I'm, I'm you know, like I'm going to make it through this podcast without crying, but <laughs> feel your feelings, I feel I'm going to feel my feelings like a champ, but like, as soon as I finish recording like later, this, yeah, like <laughs> later I'll feel those feelings, but it means the world to me that you said that. And you know, I think again, that just goes back to like, when we share our stories, when we connect with people on a human to human level, that's where the change is. And that's where mm -hmm. we open doors for new people. Yeah, so y'all go check out Christina again. I have vetted her courses. Like you can reach out to me if you want to, because <laughs> I've actually taken her courses and Thank can you. confirm they are top notch for the content that she produces. Christina, it is an honor to know you. Thank you for joining us today. And I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Sober Stories with me, Beth Bowen, and our guest, Christina Galvato. Christina left me with so many nuggets to turn into like these excellent quote graphics. So thanks for making my job easier, Christina. But I hope you took away just as much from our conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you could take a second and rate and review Sober Stories wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us tell more stories, reach more people, and change more lives one killer review at a time. And if you had a big aha moment from the show, we'd love it if you share it with us on social media. You can find us at We Are Sober Stories on almost all platforms. Tag us so we can hear your biggest takeaways and you never know when we'll send a little thank you. Until next week, my friends.